What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Friday, December 16th, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with recurring guest co host Dan Walsh of Vala Alta fame. Dano, how's it going? Dude, it's going great. Holiday season. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely stoked to have you on the pod one more time yeah. for 2022. Seriously, what an honor, as always. <laughs> so Nick, unfortunately, had something come up. Um, he will not be on today's episode. We will be sure at the end of the show to plug in his trademarked piece at the end so you can hear his voice. And then, uh, yeah, next two weeks. Got some cool best of 2022 interview episodes coming your way. A couple interviews, a couple snippets from each. And uh, yeah, that's that's the rest of the year for you from TPT. But with that, let's have a great episode, Dan. Planet Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with, for one last time this year, two episodes every week. Coming your way Monday and Friday for now. Time for our quick hits. The first one is by Tom Wilson of the Financial Times, who writes, U.S. scientists boast clean power hopes for fusion energy breakthrough. This is really huge news, and I don't know if like that can be overstated by any means. The U.S. government announced this week that U.S. scientists have made a breakthrough in something that's been in research and development since the 1950s. And it's nuclear fusion, which is the same fusion reaction that powers the sun. This could provide a reliable, abundant alternative to fossil fuels and conventional nuclear energy, according to this article. The federal Lawrence Livermore National Library in California had achieved a net energy gain in a fusion experiment within the last two weeks. Many scientists believe fusion power stations are still decades away, but this is a major step in achieving the goal of carbon-free energy that does not produce long-lived radioactive waste. Yeah, and what Dan just said is kind of the key here. This is still decades away, according to the people that are researching it, according to the people who are optimistic about it. So it's important for us to not say, we just found the thing that's going to solve climate change. But what we can look at this as is a really, really awesome step in the right direction. So just how powerful could nuclear fusion be? This article points out that a small cup of hydrogen fuel could theoretically power a home for hundreds of years crazy. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And we're still years away, like they said. But there's now potentially a light at the end of the tunnel that, that's been 70 years in the making. The author writes, through the Inflation Reduction Act, the Biden administration is plowing almost $370 billion into new subsidies for low carbon energy in an effort to slash emissions and win a global race for the next generation clean tech. Two people linked to this research said the energy output was actually greater than expected, which caused some damage to the diagnostic equipment. Last year, the National Ignition Facility used fusion to produce 70% of the energy required to create the fusion reaction. But this is the first time that fusion has produced more energy than it consumes. 
Yeah, and the way that they do it is actually pretty wild. On Tuesday, I was listening to NPR's Up First, and I think it was the third segment of the day. Great podcast if uh, anyone's looking for a good way to consume some news in the morning. Um, they were they were talking about how you, they basically just fire lasers, and that's what this article got into a little bit as well. They fire lasers at each other, and when the lasers all connect, it creates energy. And most of the time, firing lasers requires a tremendous amount of energy. So in doing that, you're just consuming. But this week, or I guess this week it was announced, within the last two weeks, they have found a way to produce more energy than it takes to fire off those lasers. So even if this isn't the answer, this is a step towards that answer, which is so cool. Yeah, seriously, a breakthrough. Congressman Don Beyer, a Democrat from Virginia who serves on the bipartisan Fusion Energy Caucus, says that Fusion Energy has the potential to lift more citizens of the world out of poverty than anything since the invention of fire. Total investments for Fusion companies to date are almost $4.9 billion. So let's hope that this breakthrough is a step in the right direction for Fusion Energy. Yeah, I mean, this is incredible. I also saw this before we are covering it here and uh yeah massive breakthrough i i've heard people talk about this and like it, the promise of fusion since mm-hmm. like high school so it's incredible that they were able to achieve this yeah and the, the cool thing for me was kind of the way i found out about it was actually through twitter and i joke about the tpt twitter and alec like, we don't get a ton of engagement <laughs> twitter isn't exactly the best social media for promoting a podcast but what i use it for is i follow a bunch of scientific journals. I follow Mm -hmm. a bunch of reporters who are talking about this sort of stuff. When I logged into the TPT Twitter the other day, every single tweet on the timeline was about this. And it was just one of those moments for me where I had to take a step back and be like, wow, this is so important that everyone is excited about it, which is just, it's cool. Definitely historic. Definitely historic. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe this time next year, we'll be talking about uh, a little bit more energy gain through fusion. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, obviously, this is like the very, very, very first step. But yeah, long term, that's incredible. Yeah, really incredible. All right. Our next story is from the Gulf Business and originally published in Bloomberg. It's titled Dutch Startup Begins Production of World's First Solar Car. Yeah. And this one was actually sent in by my friend and loyal listener, Natalie Bova. So thank you, Nat. Dutch startup Lightyear started making the world's first series production electric vehicles that generate power directly from the sun. The car is called the Lightyear Zero and has already generated 150 pre-orders. The bad news is it's going to cost roughly $259,000 or €250,000, so this is not exactly what I would call a family commuter car. Yeah. Lightyear was founded in the Netherlands in 2016, and has also been developing a cheaper model called the Lightyear 2. That model is expected to go into production in 2025 and will cost around 31650 Much more affordable and much more family-friendly. Mm-hmm. Cars powered by the sun typically struggle to make it beyond the prototype stage, though, because of the large area required for solar panels. Yeah, you know, when you think about solar production, you're thinking about roofs, right? You're thinking about open fields. A car can't have the same number of solar panels, so you need really efficient panels, or you kind of just have to expect that you're not going to generate enough to power this car totally. And that's sort of the situation you get here. So with this car, it has curved solar panels that go across the hood and the roof, 
An analysis from Hofsloot says it could actually drive two months without charging in Amsterdam over the summer when solar panels are producing the most energy, or seven months in Portugal. The car charges its battery at 323 miles per hour with fast charging, 124 miles per hour with public charging, or 20 miles per hour if you're just plugging it into your home. So the cool thing here is that this is not a car that just relies on solar. This is going to be an electric vehicle that has some energy supplemented by solar, so you have to charge it less. Yeah, very cool. That energy produced from the sun will contribute up to 43 miles of driving range daily. Initially, fundraising was considered a challenge because the concept was unproven, but Lightyear ended up securing 81 million euros from a Dutch-led group of investors this September. Yeah, and this could honestly be the next big thing. You know, I, I don't mean that in saying that the Lightyear Zero is going to be the next like hottest car in the market that everyone's getting, but solar cars in general. Like Dan said, this is something that for a long time it's been unproven, but it's a really good idea. And with this, we're looking at something where it's an electric vehicle, where what are the main issues people have with EVs? Oh, you know, it takes a while to charge sometimes and can't just pick up and go drive across the country because you have to plan where you're charging. Yeah. With this, you have an electric vehicle and all of the perks that come along with it, but you also have an extra 43 miles per day that's just generated while you're driving because the sun is on your car while you're driving. So you add that mileage, you add that cost savings of not having to charge more. Yeah, I don't know. I think the solar car could really be something that maybe not in the next decade, but within the next two, maybe maybe this is something that really takes off. Yeah, this. I mean, it makes sense, like you said, like especially at the start of the whole like electric vehicle revolution where there aren't as many charging stations or all that, like the extra 43 miles, like that's a big, like useful, that's a very useful amount of miles that could that's uh, substantial. Yeah, expand the radius of where electric cars can go. And um, yeah, I think it's totally awesome. Yeah. And, and I think something that you kind of brought up there that's really important is the fact that you're right, like EV charging stations aren't as abundant as they're going to be in the next five, 10 years. I know there are so many nonprofits, so many startups, so many for-profit companies that are now working to build EV charging stations along highways or in rural areas yeah. where they don't have as many right now. So you pair that with the fact that solar modules are getting better and mm -hmm. better and better every single year. And then pair that with the fact that electric vehicles are going to continue to get better. So with all of these things getting better just as tech progresses and more research and development is done into this industry, add in, you know, more, more charging stations. And maybe in five years they're charging faster and the batteries are storing longer. There's no reason to believe that this can't be a pretty cool component of our transportation. Yeah. It just makes sense. Yeah. All right. Dan and I are going to take a quick break, unless you want to do the Valo Alta ad read yourself. No. <laughs> All right, I'll do the Valo Alta ad read. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break, and then we got two quick hits for you to send you on your way this weekend.
Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Valo Alta. Valo Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, everybody. Next up, adding bacteria can make concrete greener, published in The Economist. As we know, concrete is one of the world's most important materials, but unfortunately, it also generates about 8% of anthropogenic CO2 emissions. This is due to CO2 being one of the principal byproducts of the chemical reaction needed to produce concrete. Thankfully, this chemical reaction is also where scientists are working to involve bacteria to change the way concrete is made for the better. Yeah, I'm just going to throw in something also. uh, When Dan says anthropogenic, that's talking about human caused. So anthro, human, anthropology. We've talked about that on the show before. We talk about anthropomorphic climate change. um, But if you are a new listener, we do like to break it down for the people. (laughs) One solution to what Dan just said with the concrete is to grow your own concrete approach, which is what a company called Prometheus is currently undertaking. Prometheus raises their bacteria in a water-filled bioreactor that contains specific inorganic nutrients and a proprietary stimulant that encourages biomineralization of a, quote, gloop that, when mixed with an aggregate, creates bioconcrete. The company says making concrete this way emits a tenth of the CO2 generated by conventional concrete making. And while the process is currently more expensive than traditional concrete, jurisdictions in states of California, Oregon, and Washington are bringing forward regulations that will help favor reduced carbon concrete. This is super cool. We've talked about something similar on the show a couple months ago now where we were talking about how you can make eco-concrete. And one of the things that they incorporated was just different materials going into the concrete to kind of offset it. But I think incorporating a bacteria that kind of just erases some of those emissions is, is a really cool method to doing that. Yeah. And what, what we won't cover in full depth here, but they cover in the article is that they're kind of looking at different ways to do it. Cause right now, like the the process is in like a laboratory phase and then they're going to build it up to the pilot stage, mm-hmm. but it's like a, a complicated process a little bit. And so to streamline it a little bit more, they're looking at ways to make it into like a just add water mix kind of, which is kind of what cement is like at yeah. construction sites. They mix it kind of maybe on the spot. And so they're looking to produce some sort of like powder that they could then ship easily ship. Yeah. Um, across the country, wherever it's needed. That'd be really cool. Uh, really cool stuff. Yeah. So another innovative solution presented by the Dutch company Basilisk uses bacteria to help heal the cracks that are forming in concrete. And that's that's another really key application there because how many times has anybody, I don't know, like driven on a road and looked at the sidewalk? <laughs> There's yeah, always cracks forming. 
I, I think this one just absolutely makes sense regardless of like the greenness of it. Yeah. Like it's just a technological improvement. So basilisk healing agent, as they call it, consists of tiny pellets that hold a variety of dried bacteria spores along with other nutrients that can be added to conventional cement when mixing it with aggregates and water. The high alkalinity of uncured cement prevents the moisture during the mixing process from activating the spores on the pellets. So as the concrete cures and the alkalinity drops, all that's required for the spores to activate is water. And that means that if a crack does appear and water starts to get into it, the spores are going to be primed to basically spring into action, generate new cement that's capable of filling up cracks that are up to a millimeter wide. Yeah, so not only does that lower maintenance costs and increase the concrete's lifespan, it reduces the amount of carbon-intensive reinforcing steel or rebar used in concrete to prevent the cracks from occurring in the first place. So, like we said, just a absolute, in my opinion, technological advancement. And uh, yeah, I, this seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, this is this is great. Yeah, And I think I anytime agree. we can really focus on the maintenance and, and extending the lifespan of these processes that aren't going anywhere, right? Like concrete yeah. is a major part of most cities, yeah. most suburbs. It's not going anywhere. So mm-hmm. to be able to increase that lifespan and make it more green and more productive, it's great. Yeah, I just like, I think it's so clever, like how they did that. Like even with like the alkalinity, like it's like untouched kind of, even though it's like, wet and there's moisture and water being added while the concrete's mixing the alkalinity prevents that from uh being used before it's needed kind of i don't know just so impressive to me yeah all right let's move on to our last quick hit of the year dan yeah all right our last quick hit of the year is by karen lapisco of world animal news who writes the european commission will now put a limit on underwater noise pollution, helping critical marine species. The European Commission set limits for underwater noise last week, which is a growing threat to the health and lives of whales, dolphins, and many other protected marine species. This move was called a necessary and long-awaited first step for action to address noise pollution by Ilaria de Silvestri, the head of EU policy and campaigns at the International Fund for Animal Welfare. A technical working group was established to set limits for underwater noise. The article says that experts differentiate between continuous noise and impulsive noise, which is the noise that is emitted during offshore construction or oil exploration activities. The main source of continuous noise is commercial shipping. The European Union's good environmental status goals called for underwater noise being decreased in 2020, and the EU failed to reach this. But these new underwater noise thresholds allow the EU's member states to assess noise levels for good environmental status. Marine areas will be divided into marine reporting units, which each member state will define for itself. Thresholds for noise will then be set in relation to the chosen indicator species in that area. Member states of the EU must now implement appropriate measures. One example of this would be reducing ship-generated noise or settling spatial restrictions for human activities. The Blue Speeds Initiative is mentioned in this article, and that initiative encourages decreasing shipping speeds by 10%, which would decrease noise, decrease the risk of ships colliding into whales, and reduce fuel consumption. 
A new study mentioned in the article found that achieving blue speeds in EU waters could reduce noise pollution and the risk of ships colliding with whales by around 25% and lower fuel consumption, CO2 emissions, and air pollution from shipping by around 8% each. Those are all amazing statistics. And, you know, someone like me, I definitely support that. My main concern here is that, yeah, it all sounds great. How do we convince consumers to be okay with potential shipping delays when global supply chains are 10% slower? You know, I would hope that people would be fine with it in an effort to be more environmentally conscious, but who knows? Yeah, no, I mean, this is super interesting because it's just, again, something a lot of people don't think about, including myself, but I mean, it's very real, like definitely exists. And I'm sure, especially like in ports, like around cities, like the closer you get to land where there's more shipping traffic, it's Mm -hmm. probably a really big problem. I'd be curious to see like the numbers of like decibels or just like how loud it is. Yeah, but you know what? Any progress is good progress, and I'm happy that our last quick hit of the year is one that leads us on a a good note for wildlife conservation. It's what a lot of the people here come to listen to the show for. So, All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. Got a little short one for the people, but we are done with new episodes for this year. We have two more coming your way on Wednesday the 21st, Wednesday the 28th. Make sure you tune in. We're going to release a best of 2022 show with part of our favorite interviews of the year. Make sure to check them out if you miss them or just want a refresher on some cool conversations. Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. Send us an email at planettodaypod at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. Nick Chanusa produced our show and makes all of our music you hear throughout. Go show Nick some love at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that's B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Recurring guest co-host Dan Walsh helped write this episode. Go support Dan and the Vala Alta team at valaalta.co and follow them on TikTok at valaalta, V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A. Yeah, happy holidays, folks. Everyone uh, rest and restore, you know, spend some time with your family, enjoy like the slow pace of the end of years. Excited for the new year, but now's the time to rest and restore. Yeah, rest, recover, and listen to two more TPTs in the following two weeks for you. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veet. Special thanks to Giselle Herrera and CJ Bonafati for all of their help on several TPT episodes this year. Have a great end to your 2022, everyone. Come check out our best of episodes next week and the week after, and we will catch you right here in 2023. Peace.